I see churches favor women, I'm Marion Wright and this is Favorite Friends, the podcast that shares the beautiful, hopeful and encouraging stories of Christian women. Well, we're deviating from the norm for this episode because while we do believe in sharing the stories of Christian women, this episode is a bit special because it is the first ever episode to feature a man and what a special guest this is. We're going to be featuring senior pastor of IC Church, Pastor Paul Geeling. He sat down with me a while ago and look, we did record late at night. We were both a bit tired, but Paul had such wisdom to share about his life and his leadership, his marriage and his heart for the women who make up the church. It's such good listening and I'm really excited to bring this episode to you. Here is Pastor Paul Geeling. Pastor Paul Geeling, welcome to Favourite Friends. Nice to be here in your lounge room. Yes, welcome to the couch. This is a very famous couch. Um, This is kind of groundbreaking for us because we've never had a man on the couch before. There you go. You were the first man to ever be on Favourite Friends. Congratulations. Thank you very much. I feel (laughs) privileged. I feel honoured. So usually when we do these... We do like some fun get to know you questions first. Mm-hmm. So you might not have thought about these, but let's just go with it and see what you got. First question for you is what do you think is the most interesting thing about you? Um, oh, gee, that's a hard question. Hmm. I like to read. Um, I think uh, we've been married now 24 years and I love that's just a good partnership and friendship and um you know i love being a dad um and i love sport that's probably about it really there's some little practical things there but those are pretty interesting if you could give some advice to your 25 year old self right now what would you say um oh gee when i was young i was pretty serious i think i've chilled out a lot since then and um yeah i think i was really intense and really serious i just relax enjoy every day i think when i was a lot younger i was very goal and destination focus more than enjoying the journey where now I think a bit of age a bit of wisdom a bit of marriage has enabled me to enjoy the journey more than not just the destination what's your favorite thing to do at the moment Uh, I like to mountain bike ride I like getting out in the nature and I like riding and um, my ankles and knees I can't run anymore so that's why I do riding yeah but that's that's probably my little uh, outlet and probably then I like to watch sport. That's my outlet. Or go to the sport with my kids. That's what I like to do. Do you have a favourite item in your wardrobe? Uh, oh, gee, you know what? If I had the choice and Joe would not let me do this, I'd wear the same things every day. I, I like the Steve Jobs philosophy that he doesn't want to waste any energy on choosing clothes. And I think Mark Zuckerberg is the same thing. He just wears the same thing every day. I could I could do that. I won't do that because Matt Joe would never let me do that, but I'd love to wear the same but pair of runners, jeans wear? and a t-shirt. Jeans and a t-shirt. And a hat because I'm bald. Would you do a colour t-shirt? Um, when I was, I was a kid growing up in the 80s, our uniform in the country was you had a pair of Levi jeans, Adidas Grand Prix shoes and a white lip rip curl t-shirt and we wore Ooh, that every day. That's a look. <laughs> yes. Okay, cool. It's very simple. Yeah. But, but you know what? We can't do that. You can't wear that everywhere. Do you have a favourite food? Um, I really love Asian food. I like Thai food. 
I like, I've been fortunate enough to travel a lot, so I like to try new foods wherever I go. So we're in Germany and Denmark this year for the first time, and I was with the guys. And because we usually travel with church people, it's not like you go to tourist spots, because with locals, they take you to the best spots. So I do like experimenting, and probably Asian's my favourite, but when you go to places around the world, because you're going with locals, they take you to the best places locally. It's excellent. What's the weirdest thing you've ever eaten? Uh, I'm probably a bit more wiser now, but when I was younger, when I was when the Philippines once, I ate balut, which is like duck embryos. Oh. Yeah, and it's like a big delicacy. I was a hero, oh. but I just closed my eyes and crunched it. It was like a boiled egg with crunchy bits. Oh man, oh man. Okay. So, but but now I'm a bit, you know I don't eat that kind of stuff now. I'm pretty I'm pretty tame. Do you have a favorite book? I know that you're quite an avid reader. Uh, yeah, I always reading. I like, well, obviously read the Bible, but I always like reading. I sort of like taking turns. I read a spiritual book and then I read a non-fiction book. So at the moment, I'm going through a whole lot of American presidents. So I'm reading one on um, Truman. It's a pretty amazing guy because he took over after a really awesome leader called uh, Roosevelt, and then he's the guy that dropped the nuclear bomb on Japan. So it's a pretty just interesting reading about that. Um, so I probably read a lot of books on politics. Um, and history. I love reading history. So I just finished one on Jerusalem. I finished one on Constantinople, Istanbul. So yeah, I like reading those kind of things. I just find, um, you know, when I was, I like a bit of fiction too, John Grisham. But usually, it's 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 nonfiction. I like to read uh, history books. Out of curiosity, are you like a hard copy reader? Are you an audio book guy? How do you I like to read a real book. Yeah. yeah right. Problem is, with some of those presidential books they're really big ones. So when I go on the plane, looks like I'm carrying an atlas, but. Um, I maybe will join the Kindle Club or something like that, but I just downloaded Audible. Yeah, yeah, it's all right. I mean, I'm podcast, so I figured audiobooks aren't that different. But anyway, yeah, podcast is good. Yeah, um, yeah, podcast is good when you're going for a walk or something. Do you listen to podcasts? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, sometimes when I can't sleep, I I listen to ABC Radio. That's a bit of a nerd in me. Talk back or national radio or news radio or I like to listen to like Jensen Franklin or some of those kind of podcasts do you listen to leadership podcasts no not so much I just like general preaching ones mm. like Jensen's one of my favorite or mm. Bill Johnson from mm. Bethel um yeah the Craig Rochelle leadership ones are really mm. good but um I, I just generally sometimes I just like to listen to normal Sunday preaching because I mm. think it helps my own Sunday preaching mm. do you have a favorite brand what do you mean by that <laughs> I don't understand that question. The hilarious thing is that every woman I've ever asked this question are like, yes, I have a favorite brand. It's just like things that they buy or things that they mm. like. Not really. Are you much no. of a shopper? Um, No, I don't like shopping. I shop really? when I'm on holidays and Joe doesn't like that because <laughs> I'll go in and just do two shops a year and it's usually when we're on holidays or we're traveling and we've got a day off because when you're at home, you're doing other things. So I don't, I don't find going shopping an enjoyable thing. I want to go buy something because I want to. I don't want to go look. So, uh, so yeah, sometimes it's quite scary because Jake goes, I can't believe you spent so much money, but I might only shop once or twice a year. So, um, no, I don't I don't enjoy shopping. Yeah. I like going because I'm going to buy something. I'm going to Bunnings because I'm getting this. I'm going to Carindale Westfield because I want to buy a pair of runners, but I don't go to look. Mm-hmm. Is that, maybe that's a guy thing or I'm generalizing. But, yeah, maybe. Maybe this but I know, question I've got a lot just of doesn't translate. I've got a lot of guy friends that love shopping. <laughs> My husband really likes shopping. Pastor Neil Smith, yeah. who I travel with a bit sometimes and preaching that, he loves to shop. Does he? Yes. Yeah, right. Yes. Do you have a favorite clothing brand? Not really. 
No, not really. No, that's cool. I'm sorry yeah. to sorry to disappoint the girls out there. <laughs> I don't totally have a clothing. Not. I'm sure Joe could tell you a couple that she likes. Yeah, yeah. I think we know this about Joe, mm-hmm. but I was just curious. Thought I'd ask. Um, so I wanted. I think we all have a fairly vague idea of what your life actually looks like. You are currently the senior pastor of IC Church. Mm-hmm. What does your life actually look like? What is like a day or a week in your life? Well, when our kids were at primary school, especially, you know, at high school, you drop kids off in the car park and you pick them up after. You don't interact with other parents. But when you're at primary school, you really interact with other parents. Or when when I was, you know, when the kids were young, I coached a few of their sporting teams, AFL or basketball. And so parents would quite often sit there, whether it's at the Christian school or the non-Christian parents of the sporting team, and they'd ask me what I'd do in the last week. Sometimes I just don't tell them because I don't think they can comprehend how much I fit in the week usually. So uh, Sunday is always a big day wherever we are and I love Sunday, but driving home on Sunday night, it's a good relaxing. My mind goes off and go home, watch some sport, eat some food with the kids. Monday's usually a day off. I like to go ride my bike. Usually Joe and I go grocery shopping because I like to do those mundane things and it's fun. We just hang out, have a coffee together. We might have lunch or breakfast together. Um, and then just do jobs, you know, organize the week ahead. Tuesday and Wednesday is full on, Tuesday's early morning prayer. Tuesday and Wednesday is usually full on in the office. I just work, you know, nine to five or nine to six, whatever, in the office. And the Thursday or Friday, sometimes I travel a lot or I go other places or I see people and then it starts all over again. So Saturday and Monday are sort of our two days that, that are usually, you know, um, sometimes there's weddings, so it's full on that level. But yeah, there's always something happening. But I find my, my roles changed a lot as the church has grown bigger. You know, when I, we first started the church, I was the only pastor. But as we've got more and more campuses, I'm more and more working on the pastoral team to pastor the whole church. And um, and it's a bit like, you know, um, uh, releasing everyone else to do all the stuff. There's things I can only do, but there's, I can release a lot of other people. I suppose that's my greatest joy is seeing people, especially on the pastoral team, release into their different giftings because we've got a very varied pastoral team. What made you want to be a pastor? Oh, I didn't want to be a pastor. I think it's sort of, I was an accidental pastor. I always wanted to do, I first wanted to join the Air Force and I did all the courses for that, got a scholarship for that and then did a camp at the beginning of year 12 for three days in the Air Force and hated it. So for all my life since I was five, I wanted to be in the Air Force and then when I actually went and did an Air Force program, realised this is not for me. So year 12 was a bit of a a no vision kind of, I really found that a hard year. And so I got into science at the end of year 12 and I was going to go to Monash Uni. And then while I went and saw my cousins who were pastor friends of mine and were great mentors of me, they were at Launceston at the time. And I spent two weeks with them over my January holidays. When I was there, I just really felt God say, go to Bible college for a year, do a gap year. So I did that. And the only one I knew was a relative at a church in Adelaide and I didn't know it was a mega church but so I went just came home and said to mum dad I think I'm going to do a gap year go to Adelaide and got on a bus went to Adelaide and the rest is history I sort of just got involved serving as a volunteer in that church and just loved working with people you know so I did school chaplaincy and then just started working part-time in the church with youth and it was awesome I loved it never looked back and I love working in the church love serving God and I love helping people that's been my you know passion so I look back now and go, oh, I'm a natural for this. But when I was at high school or 18, 19, 20, I didn't know. Even three or four years after being a pastor, I'm thinking, am I called to do this? Am I going to be any good at this? So I think like everything you doubt yourself, but there's definitely the call of God 
that's shown. Um, I think when I married Joe, she was more prepared to be a pastor than I was because she grew up in a family with lots of pastors. So the lifestyle and the things that they did became natural to her because all her grandparents are missionaries and pastors where my parents, my mum's a hairdresser, dad's a school teacher or ran a whole lot of small businesses. So, you know, in my dad's small business, we learn a lot of, you do a lot of people stuff. I had good people skills, but I think uh, Joe was more prepared to be a pastor than I was when we got married, you know. How long have you been a pastor now? Um, I got employed, so I finished high school. I did two years of Bible college. Then I went to uni and got a part-time job as a chaplain. So I started chaplaincy. Gee, what was that? I'd be, you may, you may ask me hard questions here now. Be 29 years ago, and I think I've been wow. a pastor 28. So yeah. I got employed when I was 19. Wow. Just turning, I was 18 turning 19 to be two days a week at the church in the youth ministry. So And I did that for eight years. I was two days a week at the church and two days doing chaplaincy. So I did that for eight years. Um, that was fun. I don't know if this is a millennial thing, but I can't imagine doing something for 30 years. And I think I'm reading research more and more that says people my age are probably going to have like seven careers in their lifetime. And I think there's almost like this trend amongst young people to kind of just do something for a while and then try something else. Did you ever want to quit ministry or just do something Oh, yeah, else? Oh, you always do. But I think what I would, I would say, I might be nearly in ministry 30 years as a pastor, but... I've probably done 60 roles. You know, it's never been the same. It always evolves. Yeah. So my first responsibility was assistant youth pastor to 600 teenagers and then doing chaplaincy in a school. Well, what I do now, there's some principles and skills, mm. but, you know, um, it's like someone starting as a as a nurse but then up running a ward. It's not always the same. We go into management or someone starting as a school teacher and 20 years later they're a school principal. So they're still in the same profession, but they're on a different level of management. Or someone in the army started as a private, and now they're an admiral. Or that's probably wrong. <laughs> they're a general, so wrong form of the military. But so I think, yeah, I look definitely the, the the workplace has changed, and unless you really know, I'm going to be a fireman, or I'm going to be, which is a very clear pathway. Most people, it's just showing that they're going to change over jobs a lot. And we've even had on our staff some people come on our staff forever to be passed some to a season like your husband you know he, he was an intern and then he was doing video because he didn't want to mow the lawns and uh <laughs> and then he's very good at video and he ended up working us for seven years but you know there was a limit on what he could do in yeah. the church and then he started his own business so i think you know it's like everything i think unless you're a farmer um um things you know how can you say you're gonna do the same thing forever mm. what do you enjoy most about being a pastor um I think there's oh there's there's a lot of things. I think the older I'm getting, I like to see people like you know. Uh, the other week I was at church and I looked at the stage in the city campus in Brisbane here, and all the people that were playing were kids that started the church with. Oh, that's so like cool. they were like born in the first two years of the church, or were just little kids in the church. I thought, wow, that's amazing. That is so the next generation is doing that, and then. I, I think I love people, uh, you know, and you see people get saved and transformed or, you, you know, you see um, families go through different stages and overcome certain things. You know, I think that's a big thing when we, we you see a family journey through something like it might have been cancer or I think of seeing Pete and Sash Thompson when their baby nearly died and Amelia had heart problems and, and then I look at them now, you know, years and years later the kids flourish and the parents flourish so you know church is a community of people 
and it's a shared experience as well as not just attending church on Sunday. So, um, you know, I just think uh, I get excited uh, seeing people get saved or seeing people growing in God and and um, and I get excited seeing the ministry team do that as well. I, but probably the biggest thing I'm excited about at the moment is this discipleship program which we're pioneering in Brisbane, Equipment and Power, which we're going to roll out to the other campuses in the future. That's been really awesome because I just see older people and younger people saying, wow, I'm just learning more about God. I'm growing in confidence about the word. And um, that's been really very exciting for me. What's the most challenging thing about being a pastor? Um, uh, gee, I don't think you can please everybody. Yeah. And you can't, um, um, you can't please everybody. You've got to just stand and do the right, make decisions. You're making decisions all the time on the convictions of God. But, um, uh, you know, um, I think it's hard when, People get upset with the church for something, and sometimes it's it's relevant. Sometimes we're not perfect as pastors, but sometimes, you know, I think people um, blame the church for things that might be going on in their own life. That's it's easy to do that and take responsibility. And so when people leave, you know, sometimes look, I've sent a lot of people out of church because it's been a God thing. They've gone to, they've moved interstate, or they've really had a word from God to go to someplace. But sometimes it's really hard when things are unresolved, you know. Um, but that's that's family. Church is a family. So it's a community, it's real people, you know. So, uh, yeah, I think that's hard. People, sometimes people's, the rewards of working with people are awesome, but it also can be the other end where it's, it's, it's hard, you know. Mm. But we're not perfect, but God is, you know. Mm. I'm asking this question mostly for myself because we were just talking about how I've started a new role at work. And I think sometimes when you're going through these changes where you're taking on more and more responsibility and your own role is evolving, how do you have to change your own psychology and how you see yourself and um, your own call and your confidence? Like how does all of that change? You were just saying earlier um, that you felt like Joe was way more ready to be a pastor because she was really used to certain things. How yeah. did you have to change your own mindset? Well, I think... I think, you know, like, okay, um, how can I say this? Um, some people, okay, if you grew up on a farm, mm. you have an understanding mm. of certain things about that farm atmosphere. And then say you married someone who wasn't mm. to help you on that farm. It's like a foreign language. It's like a foreign um, thing, you know, and you see it sometimes in, in workplaces, teachers marry teachers or medical people marry medical people because they may be met in that place, but also there's a common connection on a professional level. Um, but I think I just think that's the challenge to all of us. And I think, again, at the moment, um, the world is changing all the time. But some people say, well, the message of the church doesn't change, but the way we do things has to change, you know. Um, and so I'm finding at the moment, I my natural thing is I love talking to people, connecting with people. Um, but my role now is, you know, um, I've got to release lots more other people to do that and do some planning or where I'm working on a building program or whatever it may be. So I find um, that sometimes is challenging. Um, you know, I I, I, I had to ask somebody, like I, I don't know anything about social media and I asked Amanda Nyamada who helps to do training for all the staff, but really I just asked her to do the training for me because I didn't know how to use Instagram <laughs> properly and I was flogging other people's photos. And so I think, you know, they're, they're practical things, but yeah. I do think we have to adjust. Like I remember when yeah. we first, when I took over 
youth alive when you're at, when you're at seminary at Bible college they teach you how to do funerals teach you how to preach a message teach you how to help people pastor people but no one ever taught me how to read a profit and loss statement or finances you know and so I remember when we started when I was running youth alive and we had a budget of five or six hundred thousand dollars a year I had to go to an accountant in the church and say hey can you teach me how to read this because I'm sitting in a board meeting I don't know what I'm doing here I, I'm the only person in the room and I'm the boss I can't read the financials and I remember going to an accountant in the church and he's he he did me a fast course over six to eight Tuesday nights teaching me how to read stuff. So look, I think in every role we've got to keep on growing, you know what I mean? And so it doesn't stop for anyone, whether you're a pastor or, you know, a business person or an engineer, we're going to have to keep, a parent, you're going to keep growing as your kids go through different mm. stages, you know? So um, did you ever I don't know if that answers your question. Did you ever struggle with like self-doubt or comparison? Oh, all the time. You know, I remember the funny story is when we started our church, we were so excited. I think we had 61 people on the first official Sunday in the cinemas at Capella Bar. And then the next week we went, we did church in the morning. I flew down to Melbourne to support my, you know, my old boss and one of my best friends, Russell Evans, start Planet Shakers. He had 2,000 people at his opening. So, and and it never stopped being higher than that. So wow. uh, you can't compare yourself with that. you got to say, am I doing what God's asked me to do right now? Yes. So that's... You know, I think all of us have that challenge where you can compare yourself with siblings or friends at work or people you went to school with. You can't do that. You've got to go, am I doing what God's asked me to do and am I doing the best thing? Because if you get into comparison, whether it's in marriage and family and career, it's just a bad pathway to get down. You know, All of us are going to have doubts. All of us are going to have fears. But we, you know, um, I think that's where we've got to... There's always a to me my, my mind. There's always a solution in the world in the word to every mm. personal insecurity or fear that we have. You know, mm. we just got to get out of the flesh and into the spirit. You know, mm. but what yes, is, we all doubt ourselves yeah. at different times. What are some of your biggest lessons in leadership? Um, you know, Galatians six. I shared on this with the staff this morning. Don't grow weary in doing what is right, for in due season you reap a harvest. Like I think sometimes we give up. God gives us a promise or God gives us a dream and people give up before they see it come to pass. I remember a preacher once saying, delay is not denial. Mm. And when I mean, when you're younger, six months is a long time. But as you get older, you realize five years is like that. And I think, um, you know, and you start having kids and, and I think, um, you know, you've got to have some things take time and it's okay. You know, um, you, you usually get more mature and more self-confident. Like, I think I've also enjoyed bracing every age. You know, in 20, you got lots of energy and vision. 30s, you sort of get more practical. I'm in my 40s now, and I love being in the 40s. I don't wish I'm 25. Mm. I get, um, and I think oh, I'm going to try and brace every age. But I think you're learning stuff all the time, Marion, about I think I like to – hopefully I'm learning from my failings and mistakes and building on my strengths. Um, but I think that's something – we all look at. I think I I find every year this this might it's a little secret and you might discover <laughs> it, but every time we do prayer and fasting every November, mm. I find I go with a list of praying to God what I want to pray about or want to pray for the church, and then God's got a list for me. Mm. And I find I know it sounds a bit crazy, but every year in that November, I find it quite confronting. Yeah, right. Because I find God goes, "Well, I don't like this about you, and maybe you did do this and look at this attitude in your heart or." how you treat your family or I really find that a big thing where it's like a bit of a wake up call. God's putting a mirror up to me. Wow. So I don't actually, I know I, 
I share about. I tell the church how powerful it is. But I, when I come up to prayer and fasting, I don't enjoy it because I find firstly God deals with my own heart. Wow. Is there anything, you know, David says, search my heart. If there's anything unclean, reveal it to me. I find when we go into prayer and fasting every year, the first week's awful because like, I feel God's putting me through the mixer going, what about this attitude you've got? You need to change that. Or that's an immature thought or... And I find, and then, and then I find after prayer and fasting awesome, but I find during it really horrible. Mm. But it's awesome because I come out of it going, "Wow, I just feel clean again." Or mm. um, there's been different times where God's told me things about my marriage I need to work on, or mm. my parenting I need to work on, or an insecurity in my life that, hey, I want to break through this, and and it's sort of quite revealing. Where if I just chug along normally, you can hide all those things, you know. But prayer and fasting strips you down to the spiritual things of your life. It's a, yeah. Am I getting off topic here? No, okay. this is all good. Okay, cool. This is all excellent. Um, I, am, I am a raver, so, you know. No, it's good. And you've had a big day. I just remembered this morning that you've had like a 5 a.m. prayer meeting. Mm-hmm. 5.30, yeah, it's, whatever. It's about 9 o'clock now, I think. But it's all good. I love it. What do you think is a key to leading people well? I think firstly, is people want to know, are you authentic? You know, are you real? Uh, are, are what you say publicly the same privately? And I think that's the biggest, the biggest thing. Like, um, people, people have a, you know, we call it the pub test or the, mm. you know, like I think that's that's real. I think people first, if you're going to lead people, you've got to be real. And then secondly, it helps if you're good at what you're do, leading people in. Yeah. You know, like if you're a coach of a sporting team, you got an idea about it, or if you're um, you know, and then secondly, thirdly, um, you know, I, I love leading people. Mm. And I remember growing up, I never was the best player in any team I played on cricket, basketball, football. Actually, I was a terrible cricket, but I love cricket. But I always end up being the captain. And I don't think it was because I was never because I was the most talented. Mm. It's because I had an ability to get everyone working in the same direction. And, and also to respect their differences, but get them in a unity of purpose. Mm. And, you know, when it comes to, any kind of leadership, I think, whether it's in a team at work or it's a sporting team or it's in the church, we, we want to respect diversity but get everyone going in the same direction on something, mm. you know, and that's... that's um, mm. The church is the most amazing organisation because it's the most diverse organisation, mm. diverse in their nationality, diverse in gender, diverse in age groups. Most mm. people hang out in their own kind, but churches, you can have a wide diversity of people and the common denominator is Christ... Mm. Not um, socioeconomic things, not education, not geographical suburb, mm. and I think that's quite powerful about what the church is because Christ and we're all living stones. The Bible says put together, but that's the amazing thing. I the privilege of my job is I can be talking with a a single mum who's really struggling. I can talk with a really rich business guy in the same week. So I'm talking to a doctor and he's telling me how awesome his job is and I'm talking to a sparky or a trade carpenter and they're all it, and the, and the, and you know usually you, most people don't hang out with all the diversity people we got so many nationalities in our church yeah. diverse and that, I love that as well so but the common denominator always comes down as as it's not it's not their ethnicity it's not their their social standing it's it's Christ and that's pretty cool it's cool what would you say to young men and women who see themselves in leadership or see themselves in church-based ministry? Do you have advice or wisdom for them? Well, first of all, I think 
whatever you're called to do is ministry, mm. okay? Because I think when I was growing up and we were all younger, if you're if you're over 40 and listening to podcasts, is it sometimes in the church, like unless you're a full-time minister, you're not really called of God. Yeah. Well, I, I think I think that is we don't need we don't need thousands of pastors we need thousands of christians millions of christians influencing every era of society so if you're called to be an athlete be the best athlete for jesus you can be you know i always get pumped about eric little that story about the guy did chariots fire Mm. you know it's every time i watch that movie i love it it's amazing because he never compromised he was strong in his faith and he was the best but you know we're talking media we're talking trades we're talking business being a business person is a ministry to take those steps of faith being in the medical industry or an educator you think about being a school teacher people sometimes school teachers get a bad rap i'm probably passionate about school teachers because my dad was one but primary school teachers wow what an incredible opportunity Mm. to influence lives for the future Mm. and you know um and then high school teachers you know you're in that zone of people growing young adult adolescents growing like i think we don't realize that every whatever you're called to do you know um, I grew up in a farming town and I used to stand in awe of those farmers because they were engineers, weathermen, accountants, uh, you know, mechanics and everything and, and, and what they would do. And so, and you know, and they could bring God into all of that and then ask God to help them be those people. So whether you're an accountant, I just think, I think we've got to realize that God's given us gifts and talents. And I think, I reckon there was a big lie sold to us at high school. I went to I went to government school all the way through, and there was this big thing: you can whatever you put your mind to, you can be. I think that's a total crock, and um, it's because no, no, we need to ask God yeah. what He's called us to be because He's got the best plan for us, yeah. and He knows our personality, knows the gifts and talents. So you might be a, a musician, or a, you know, we've all seen those guys go on The Voice or. You know, Britain's Got Talent, something like that. And their mum said all their life, oh, you're an awesome singer. You're an awesome singer. No, they're not an awesome singer. <laughs> you know, and then they get on there and Simon Cow makes fun of them. So, you know, I think, I know for me with my two boys, I am always I was always praying, Lord, help me bring the God gifts out and what have you called them to do? They don't need to do what I've called to do. They may be a pastor, they may not. But what are the gifts and talents in them? I'm not that musical. My kids are very musical. I remember God showing me you need to invest and buy a drum kit for Josh. It was quite an expensive investment. Mm. Sammy loves to do Chinese. Invest in that. Mm. Um, so I think uh, I think you've got to. I think the biggest thing I say to young people is, you know, find what God that the lane God's given you and run in mm. to do it, and that's important because mm. I think the hardest thing to find is what you're called to do for your lifetime. Mm. You know, and there's a lot of fear growing up. Thinking, what am I going to do? I never thought I'd be a pastor when mm. I graduated from high school. Um, but by the grace of God, he made a pathway for me to do that. Um, mm. But yeah. I think, and I suppose this has been true for you, but in your experience of church-based ministry, when you get given a platform, you become very visible, you know, and there is this level of elevation um, in your role. Do you have to work hard to kind of keep your heart right when so many people know who you are? And so many people want you for certain things. Like, does that ever get challenging? Um, well, not not really, because I don't think I don't think who I am has changed on that level of what we're called to be. I think I've personally made decisions in my life because there's higher expectations of who I am that yeah. I that I do 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 certain things and don't do certain things. Yeah, it's no doubt about that. 
Um, I know sometimes because the more people I know, I, when I go on holidays, I don't go anywhere. I try to go places where people won't be. Yeah. <laughs> Only just to get a bit of time out. But yeah. But um. But I think um. I think. Uh, how can I say this? Um, God gives you an anointing, but you've got to build your own character. Yeah. Does that make sense? That's so, good. so God gives me the anointing. So, you know, people say, well, how can that man be? He was an awesome anointed man of God, but then his marriage broke up or yeah. blah, blah, blah. In ministry, I'm talking pastors here. Yeah. Well, because the anointing comes from God, but yeah. we are personally responsible for our character and what we're doing. And so, so, um, you know, um, uh, Joe and I, like every couple, we got to work on our marriage. Um, um, we've got to work on our parenting. We've got to work on a genuine character. Um, uh, but I am aware that everywhere I go, like I, I was, okay, I'll give you an example. I was flying to Germany two months ago to go and preach. And, um, oh, you know, I was busting the go to Lou. Okay, this is a bit of an absurd story. But there was this lady on crutches. And I saw that she'd gone up for a while and waited in the loo because we're on an Emirates flight. It's like an A380. It's hundreds of people about half an hour after the meal. Suddenly everyone decides to go to the toilet. And and she went up there twice and she had to sit down. Her husband had to help her. And I, and um, anyway, it got a bit quieter and um, I went up there and then I I was just, I was busting out the loo and I thought, oh, I really should talk to this lady and see if she needs to go. I said, oh, do, you want, do you want to go? And she, you know, she goes to the bathroom, she sits back down. I go to the bathroom. Then I walk back, she goes, is your name Pastor Paul Geeling? And I said, yes. He goes, oh, I've just joined the North Campus. I've been watching on the live link. No And way. I'm like, oh, okay. Oh, well, that's great. She said, thank you so much for letting me go to the bathroom and help my husband. And it's funny, like, you wow. know, you just never know who's in the crowd. No, I'm not to say that, you know, some some people have been with me to the football and I don't behave that well sometimes at the football. Um, but, <laughs> but um, you know, so I think I, I am conscious that, I've got to be a good example everywhere I go. And look, I make mistakes like everyone else. You know that. I've lost my license three times. Um, I am a bit of a speeder. I wasn't going to bring that up. And, um, but I, I haven't got a speeding fine for three years. And I think it's because oh, I bought good. a diesel truck and it goes slower. Um, but, <laughs> but you know, um, I think people are watching us. And yeah. I find quite a, for me, I've had contact with so many people. I worked at two mega churches. I've worked in our church for, for 15 years now. Also, people are backslidden. I come into contact with people all the time that are yeah. that are backslidden Christians, and they're the most judgmental. And they're looking: oh, is this guy real? Is is his faith real? Is he going to treat me right? I might be serving some of the shop. So, I know that sounds weird, but mm. you know, I I really ask God to help me in all those things as well. Because I think, and I don't know if this is just you know, like in my experience, but I feel like. Sometimes when God gifts you with things, you actually have to work really hard at humility. Like humility is actually something you have to work at because arrogance can, it can actually sneak in, you know, and pride can kind of sneak in. Well, I think also, no, I think it also is, I think what God wants from us is dependency on him. Yeah. Okay. And so you, whatever you are, you can get good at something. Yeah. And then you think like, you know, the first time I preached at a small group when I was 17, I was really nervous and prayed fast for three days. But over time, yeah. hopefully I don't have to do, have, hopefully I've developed some skill right. to preach and communicate. But having a humble spirit and having the, a dependency on God. And I think there's no doubt in times in my life, I think God's, and it's usually through storms and challenges, there's a humbling right. process takes place. Right. 
Like, um, you know, we got flooded in 2011. That was one of the toughest years of our life. And it was very humbling because yeah, right. to that point, the church had gone, everything we touched had grown. And that year, the church went backwards wow. because we had a natural disaster. We lost our venue and it was a really tough time. And that was quite humbling because despite the challenging times, this is what God's called me to do. So I've just mm. got to weather that season and go through it. And and I think you just realize, well, am I, to me, success is not, in numbers or achievement success is are we being obedient to what God's asked us to do mm. so you know I remember thinking about this okay if God asked me to be a missionary to the Aboriginal tribes and First Nations people in Arakoon North Queensland and I serve them for 50 years and one person gets saved and God's asked me to do that that's mm. success but if God's asked me to run a church with 15 campuses and blah 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 and that's what God's asked me to do. Well, that's success. Otherwise, if I don't do what I'm doing, I'm Jonah, you know, doing something different. And I think, um, you know, people on the podcast, if the season right now, mum's, God's called you to be a mum at home, mm. well, embrace the season. Or if God's called you to be a school teacher for a season or their seasons in life and being obedient to God in that and being faithful in that is, I think, success. Mm. I think, I think all the social media generation, everything about television – we think everything about life is glamorous and we thank God when we get the holiday to Bali or to go to Hawaii or you buy a new car. But most of life is the routine yeah. of getting up every day, going to work and getting going home again and going to church on Sunday and taking your kids to sport and going shopping for groceries and cooking the meals, doing the washing. It's not that glamorous, but we've got to find God in everything, you know, and, and enjoy everything. And, and so, yeah. I wanted to talk a little bit about your story about growing up at the start of the year I got to help my husband put together the vision video for our church and he um, went and filmed your mum and your auntie Pat in a town called now am I going to say it right Tatura yeah in Victoria yeah and um, that was I think really I, I spoke to a lot of people I don't know if anyone gave you feedback on what that was like but we we almost um, saw it like a little documentary about your life <laughs> and your family. And a lot of people said that it was actually really cool to see like the really human side of mm. your story and your family story and how they found God. Well, I think everyone, yeah, everyone's got a story. Yeah. And um, it's my great auntie Pat. And the reason we interviewed her is because she's the one that sort of led the whole family right. to the Lord. So she's my mum's auntie. Yeah. And my mum comes from a broken home. When she was five, her, her mum and dad got divorced. So that's like 1954. So it's not a big thing like divorce is now. Yeah. You know, there was no no fault divorce back then. Yeah, right. So if you think of that in legal terms. But but then she went, her mum had a breakdown. So she went and lived with Auntie Pat. So her, she's a very special lady to my mum. But yeah, like I think it's always, I find it quite humbling when I go back to Tatura because um, it's always good to remember where you came from, you know. Now... I grew up in the upper Yarra Valley on the outskirts of Melbourne, which is a lot more beautiful than Tatura. It's a mountainous valley region. That's why I love going to Tasmania so much. It's the same kind of forest. Yeah, right. But when I was 13, we moved to that town. Mum and dad are still there. It's like, I think it's grown a bit since I was there. It's about 3,500 people now. I think it was 2,500 when I was there. But yeah, like everyone's got a story. And I think I love living in Brisbane, the city, but I do have a heart for regional, mm. regional Australia because I grew up and I spent all my high school years in a regional town and most of my primary school years on the outskirts of a big city so I wasn't living in the suburbs 
and um, you know, um, yeah, I do love I, I love Australia for that reason as well. Can you? I grew up in the city, so I have no idea what it was like to grow up in a regional town. Can you paint a bit of a picture for us? Well, I think regional cities are far more connected. I actually think for families, quite often growing up in a regional town is is better. Yeah, right. I think um, um, like church communities in the town, country towns are awesome. Sport, if you like sport, which I did, well, that's one of the only things you can do, um, is awesome, you know. Um, and um, they're the kind of that's really about it. <laughs> There's not much going out. So on, um, and you know, we in my particular community, we had a lot of great farmers in our church, so we just got to do things that city kids don't do you know riding motorbikes and going camping and bushwalking and shooting and all kinds of crazy stuff we would do um but that's also a different time too you know um but yeah look people are the same wherever you are it's just a different environment mm. you know what i mean mm. um and so you know i think i also think i was a teenager in the 80s we have a far more global culture now yeah so just like when you travel around the world in the shop, every shop in India, Europe, Australia, they're all the same shops in the airport. You know what I mean? Like same brands. And I think there's far more global culture now where things people find things in common. Mm. You know, all the young people in our church in India are very, there's some differences, but there's a lot of similarities because of global culture mm. and the young people in Australia. Mm. When you're talking, you spend some time in Mumbai as well mm. because of that global culture mm. that's connecting people, which... In my generation, there was it was far more you're Australian than you're American. Mm. We're far more globalised now, mm. I think. What do you remember about your childhood in Tatura? Um, yeah, I think uh, my parents helped pioneer a church. Like there was no church in our town. My parents weren't the pastors, but um, once a month, this other church they'd send out a team. We had a Sunday night service, and um, yeah, um, my parents ran a business in that town. So every day after school and most mornings I worked in that business helping my dad. And then every Saturday morning I worked in that business. Like we, we went nine to one. Back then there was no Sunday trading. So mm. in a country town, Saturday morning's a big shopping day till the shops close at one. Mm. Everyone comes into town to get their groceries, do stuff. It's, mm. it's just different. Tell me the story. And I, I think a lot of people in our church will be familiar with it already. But tell me the story of your parents finding God and then how that then did that lead to you finding God as well? Uh, yeah. Like I think mum shared it pretty good on that thing. They, they were, their, their marriage wasn't going well. And it's funny. As a kid, you pick up stuff. Do, um, do you remember that? Yeah. Like I, look, I have a, I have a great compassion for kids going for a divorce program because my parents, yeah, right. there was stuff going down yeah, and as right. a, I was probably four or five. And I can, sense that okay I, I know that and so but then you know they got saved the same night at church they got invited to church and and there was just a radical change in them you know but my parents weren't perfect new christians either my dad and it's still i remember my dad getting drunk when i was quite young and that really upset me and mm. um, that was after he got saved and and um and he's still smoking but my parents were awesome because they were committed to growing in God and um, and so you know they're, they're in their 70s now it's 40 something years later they're going on strong for God but you know there's no doubt um, I'm thankful that they made a decision to, to go to Christ which is 
put us in a whole different realm as a family, you know, and my kids as well. So I think, um, you know, um, sometimes people look at you and go, oh, you know, he's a pastor, he's a super Christian, but everyone's got a story. You know, I've got crazy relatives as well and lots of unsaved relatives and I love them all. My mum's one of 13 once you count all the blended family together of the different wow. marriages. So I've got a lot of lot of family like that and my dad's one of five. So I've got lots of cousins on that level. Um, mm. And so, but most of them all live in Victoria, so I don't see. There's only, I've got one cousin and one auntie on the Sunshine Coast, but everyone else is wow. Victoria. Tell me about well, the moment when you found Jesus for yourself. Uh, I just remember going to church as a kid because when mum and dad got saved, they really got saved. We were at church morning and night. Yeah. But I, I remember I got saved and people who are a bit older will remember this. There was these movies um, called Thief in the Night and it was basically scare you into heaven and it was like the rapture came and there were all these 70s movies. But, That's terrifying. Yeah, and so I remember watching this movie, Thief in the Night, would have been six, seven, and it was at a local town hall and it was an outreach and I went forward and gave my life to Christ. But I remember it got so much in my heart that I came home and if mum and dad weren't there, I thought, oh, the rapture's happened, I'll be left oh, behind. Wow. And, yeah. But, hey, it worked. I'm not <laughs> sure if the, the theology behind it, but it was... Do you um, remember those books, the Left Behind books? No, this is like, I know those books, I never read them. Yeah, but, but I this think this is a 20 year was, thing before that. Yeah, yeah, so I think the left behind books were that for me because mm. I was forever afraid that I was going to be left behind. So I'd always wake up in the morning and mum and dad would have gone shopping and I'd be like, it's happening. But the, the awesome thing happening. about those things is it makes you think about eternity. Yeah, totally. You know what I mean? Like, um, so I don't question that. But I always had a sense of God in my life and a love for God. I loved, as a kid, I loved going to church. Mm. And um, I really felt I just love being in the worship and I love going to church, whether it's kids' church or main church. And and as a kid, I'd make my parents go to church twice on Sunday mm. because I love being in church and I love being in God's presence. So mm. it definitely obviously had an impact on me as a kid. Do you remember like one of your first encounters with the Holy Spirit or a moment where you felt God speak Well, I remember to you? getting saved and I remember... I remember the first time really God answered me. Everyone's heard me tell that story about how I went to America and I gave up football. That was like the first time I realized, oh, wow, God mm. is interested personally in what I do. And um, But there's just it's it's never one thing. I think it's a combination of things. Mm. There's a God consciousness. I think seeing a transformation in your parents, for me, mm. my brother's a lot younger than me. Michael's four years younger than me. Benjamin's only seven years younger than me. So for me, they probably just remember mum and dad always been Christians. I remember them not being Christians and being new Christians mm-hmm. and that some of those challenges. So for me, I, I saw our family get better mm-hmm. because mum and dad got saved, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, you know, and that's a big deal. And I know it was hard for mum and dad because some of their family rejected them and their friends because there was such a transformation in their really? lives. They won't go and drink and they won't go and gambling. They won't right. go and do all the things that they were doing. Right. Now, all those relationships are probably really good now, but back then it's quite confronting that someone changes their course of action that much. I love um, hearing you talk about your mum and the spiritual role that she's played in your life. And I love the story that you told on Sunday about her being the crazy lady who prays in the car for a car park. What What do you think her – what was the impact of her spiritual walk on you and your spiritual walk? Um. Oh, good and bad. Mum's very mercy-driven. Right. Um, I, th- I don't know if she's listening to this, but she may be upset by saying this. But 
No, mum, mum was great. Mum was great. Mum, mum's a very caring person for others, and I think because of, I think because of her upbringing where she had a broken home and all that, she really is compassionate. Like mum and dad always had people at her house, which was great. But then sometimes I remember as one thing I did hate as a kid, there was this halfway house for battered women, and my mum loved it, and she was always working there and serving there. But I hated going there. And I don't know what it was. I just hated hanging out there. And um, but Mum, it was called Ben Warren. Mum loves, and she was awesome at it. She's very yeah. mercy driven, and she would help. She, even now, my mum will help any person that needs it. She's very compassionate like that. Um, um, and my dad's always been the kind of guy. He's everybody's dad. You know, he's a caring person, and always got. My dad's probably love language is time. He always spends time with people, and you know they're in that little country church where mum dad go I couldn't there's not many people would say a bad word about my dad because he's he's everyone's uncle everyone's dad you know I wanted to ask you about some of the tough moments in your life tell me about some of those and the question I want to ask is, what did you learn about God as a result of walking through some of these big things? I remember uh, there's a guy I went to school with when he committed suicide. Yeah. I'd lost, I hadn't seen him in two years, and I heard that he had taken his life. He was a he in the middle of year twelve. He got glandular fever, and it got so bad he didn't finish year twelve. Oh. And I moved to Adelaide, and then. Yeah, and I was I was quite close to the guy. You know, you just think friends at school, you don't think anything of it. Mm. But he went back and repeated that year and he didn't get the grades he wanted and he was very high on himself and he took his own life. That was, I just found that very, because um, then you think, what could I have done more? And I think anyone's had someone have an accident or have suicide in their life, they like, well, what else could I have done, mm. you know? And I was pretty young back then. I would have been 19 and 20. That really rocked me on a multiple levels. And that probably helped me, probably gave me a greater compassion to work with people because mm-hmm. I was working in schools at the time as a chaplain. Um, hard times, which we've gone through. Um, yeah, I think, um, look, there's, there's just different times where you lose confidence or you have great years and then you have frustrating years. I remember one year we had a really tough year when I was in Adelaide and and I remember saying, God, there's been nothing I can be thankful for this year. And then God said, well, you had your first son. And that sort of was a bit of a rebuke. And I thought, yeah, that's been wow. the best thing that's happened. So there's always something you look forward to. But no one's immune from hard seasons. Yeah. You know, the Bible says the rain falls on the just and unjust alike. But the difference is we've got God to walk through those seasons. So, yeah. um, you know, um, I think um, as a pastor and as a leader, uh, we, we all go through challenges and growth periods. And I just think... Um, my role, you'll usually hear me preach about it, but after I've probably come through the other side, I don't think it's any good for me to get up on a Sunday and blurt out all my challenges to the church. But I think um, some of my best ministry messages come out of when we've gone through that hard season and then we can communicate to the church. That must be so hard though, when you are walking through something quite difficult and then you still have to get up on Sunday and bring a word. Yeah. And the Bible says preach in and out of season. So sometimes that's where the anointing is there because yeah. we're we're not we're not the Bible says his grace is sufficient, his strength is made perfect, not in your strength, but in your weakness. Yeah. And so there's sometimes I might have been sick or there's been stuff happening and blah 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 and you get up and think, oh, I've got 
this word doesn't look much. And then people go, oh, Pastor Paul, that word really spoke to me today. Yeah. What that really is is the anointing of God bringing something alive to that person yeah. because I thought, oh, that was terrible this morning. So, you know, um, that's the grace of God, you know, mm. in all circumstances. Um, um, and I think um, that's the awesome thing about God. Mm. He uses earthen vessels that have got weaknesses and mm. he's the treasure within, if we're going to put that in a scriptural point of view. Um, and no one's perfect. And God enables us to do things beyond our own potential. God enables us to do things when we, um, you know, I, I remember growing up in the eighties, and I remember as a teenager, I didn't. Only years later did I realize how hard my parents were doing financially. My parents had a house, like everyone in the eighties, and they had a seventeen and a half percent interest rate on their loan. And my my parents were running a business. On their overdraft, it was twenty four percent interest. So my dad. My, my mum and my auntie Pat ran the business and my dad went back to school teaching to keep everyone afloat. And, you know, but as a kid, I look back at my parents, they didn't talk to us every day saying, oh, we're so broke, blah, blah, blah. They just did the best and put on a smiley face and I'm sure mm. behind the scenes they were working how they're going to pay all the bills and all that. But that's that's being an adult, you know. In the, in, in the world of Facebook and Instagram, sometimes there's oversharing, mm. you know what I mean? Um, mm. You know what I mean? What do you think about that? Oh, you know, and you might think I'm just a grumpy old individual here, but sometimes I read things in the media and on social media and people go, you know, I had this thing in parenting, like they think they're the only person ever to experience it. But hey, people have been having kids for eternity, people have been married for eternity. What does the Bible clear? There's nothing new under the sun. The circumstances may be different because of technology, but all the issues of life are the same issues of life for the last thousands of years. So... I just find that's funny when people think they're the only person ever to experience it. That's one of the tactics of the devil too. He says to you, you're the only person ever to go through this and blah, blah, blah. And that's how he isolates people. So I just think it's quite funny when I see that sometimes. Yeah. Does it annoy you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I'm an older person now, so younger people, um, it's different. You know, I have probably got annoyed at older people when I was young. The 2011 floods were a huge thing for our church and, you know, I think everyone gets, I think everyone's relationship with God gets affected differently when we walk through struggle. I know sometimes I get really angry at God and I question him a lot. Have you ever been in that place? Yeah, yeah, like we had that, we had a really tough year and um, because it happened in January and because we had to fight the insurance companies for over a year, there was no answer I could give the church. Yeah. So people go, what's going to happen? And all I could say is, I don't know. Well, that's people are like, well, I don't want, don't know. And so we had a lot of people leave the church in that season because of the uncertainty. But what's really hard, you know, all of our lives is there's certain things we can control, but when there's things outside of your control, you have no control, what can you do? Mm. So I thought I was being a really good pastor when I communicated at Easter time to the church, hey, these are the three scenarios. Either we're going to rebuild the church when the insurance comes come through, but we don't know when it's going to come through. And it took another 12, 14 months. Mm. We're going to knock down the church and build a new one. We're going to sell the church. And I thought I was just being honest to communicate to the church. Well, the funny thing is that probably set off 300 people leaving the church. It's like, well, we don't know what. Wow. This is an open-ended question. We're not hanging around. We love you and Joe, but, you know, so, you know, that was just people are people and they got to make decisions for their family. But that was a really tough season in the church. But... I look back now, it was actually the making of the church. We, we looked at 
strengths and weaknesses of church. We looked at what the vision was of church, where Love Build Reach came out of, all the cultures came out of the church. Mm. I think the new name for the church came out of that season. And then funny mm. thing is we took over church in Townsville and the first month we took it over it got flooded. But it hasn't been that stressful because it's like, oh, this is nothing compared to the 2011 flood. And so I've walked past the Mike Kelly Michelle through that whole process and the insurance claim, and I haven't lost a night's sleep over it. But in 2011, I wasn't getting much sleep. Yeah. So how do you look after yourself in seasons like that? It would take a toll on your emotions, your mental health. Yeah, I think I think we got survive? to about August and we were just exhausted, and then we had some great stuff as a the time. I, there's no doubt um, um, Matt Hunt, um, who now is a pastor in Melbourne, and Andrew Kerridge, one of our board members, he was a staff at the time. They really carried a lot. And because it was a crisis time, they were good at making decisions. Um, but I remember we, we got to about August. We were just a bit physically and emotionally exhausted. And and God just really told us to go. One of our great mentors is Pastor Martin Steele. And he's one of our outside elders of our church. And we just felt to go and spend four days, go to his conference at his church in Auckland. Mm. No one knows us there besides Pastor Martin. So we didn't know anyone. Mm. And Bill Johnson was speaking. And one of his pastors, Danny Silk, and... It was amazing, like Danny Silk preached this message on dreams and God just really touched us. I remember we just really got touched at an altar call by God and we just came back and said, okay, we've got to get out of crisis zone, get back into running the church zone and planning for the future zone. Mm. And um, we came back. I remember we, sh- we sh- preached on dreams to the church and we never looked back. It was sort of we hit the bottom, you know what I mean? And uh, and so, yeah, so look, everyone... It, Everyone's going to have those seasons and you've got to dig into God, dig into the word and dig into prayer. And um, and then also God, I think, used um, a preacher to help release that faith back into our lives. Have you ever had seasons in your life where God has said something to you or promised you something and then you've entered into just a time of wait mm. and then you're like, hang on. All the time. Yeah. How do you, how do you navigate a season of waiting? Well, sometimes we get a, we get something and it happens within a week. Yeah. But there's, there's promises I think God's given me that may take a lifetime to fulfill. Or what about some promises that I may not fulfill but our kids will fulfill? Yeah, right. So I think, I think um, it comes back to again doing, being obedient to what God's asked you to do now. But dreams and promises are powerful because they're motivating. Mm. So an athlete wants to go to the Olympics, something more than just the hard – there's so much hard work to get there to be mm. Kathy Freeman gold medalist at the Olympics mm. – um, you got to have some passion and a dream to, that gets you up in the morning to do all the things and deny yourself all the things that everyone else is doing. And I think um, for us, um, there's definitely in my heart a desire to, uh, I feel the Lord spoke to me many years ago that we're going to have 10 strong regional churches in Australia that are powerful churches, awesome churches with families that are getting courage and great youth ministry and kids ministry and that. I feel God spoke to me about the city of Brisbane that, you know, we're going to have camps north, south, east, where it's going to really shake and rattle the city. And then I felt God speak to me, we're going to do things in the nation. So all those things are in flux and, and mm. some things have progressed. Like I remember when God spoke to me about 10 regional towns, um, the first one didn't come until four years after that happened. Mm. So you think, oh, maybe. And the thing is, what is the great test of something you think God spoke in your time? So, so you know, um, is it is it me thinking this or is it really God? Well, time's the greatest test, you know, of all those things. Mm. Um, so, you know, um, I really do know that. I still feel a conviction about that. We've got three regional towns, mm. Launceston, 
Adelaide, please don't be upset, Adelaide, and and Townsville. I love Adelaide. Um, Me too. I went to Adelaide for the first time. I like it. It's awesome. Yeah, it was. Food was good. Coffee was good. Coffee is good. Yeah, people were good too. Awesome Greek food. (laughs) Yeah, and it's great value for money food. You can get awesome food. It's cheap compared to Brisbane. Brisbane food is so overpriced. It's easy to get around in Adelaide, I felt. It's very mm-hmm. beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Weather was good. Mm, I'm a fan. Let's talk about your wife. I wanted to ask you how you met Joe. Um, I met her through a brother. I know. I think I've, I'll probably share this story at church sometime, but her brother had been away from the Lord and made a recommitment. Oh, and right. so we, I water baptized him. And he's a great friend of mine even to this day, Mark. So I said, Mark said, oh, would you come after baptism to my house for lunch? And um, and I was, you know, I'd been living in Adelaide five years. I was single. I was hoping to get married. And um, and I just hadn't found the right person. And so I was, hang- I was pretty lonely because I'm really close to my family. And I was living with a few friends at the time. And I went to this family's time for lunch. It was just awesome. I had such a good time. They were yelling at each other and making fun of each other and teasing each other and abusing each other. And I thought, this is a really cool family. On the way out is when I saw a picture of Joe on the wall. So who's that? He goes, that's my sister. I said, how come she's not here today? She goes, oh, she just come back from Bible college. She's playing piano for a church down south. And and I thought, oh, what's her name? Joanne. So I, thought, I just thought nothing really of it. Then the next day she came into the office to talk to my boss to volunteer to do some admin for Youth Alive. And so I said, how are you going, Joanne? And she thought I was some kind of creep that knew her and she didn't know me. And anyway, I just I just liked it from that point, I suppose. And, you know, she was she was sort of semi dating someone else and Oh, that's um, right. And so, you know, we just kept kept that agenda going and worked on it. Yeah, but I pretty much knew straight away that I felt I dated a few people and it always ended up in a bit of a disaster. And um all good people by the way, but just not the right person for me. And then I think um uh, as soon as I connected with Joe and met her, I was like, "Yeah, this is." I was pretty, pretty sure. So I say to girls, if it's if he's if he's taken forever, maybe he's not the person. Because I find as a guy, if I know it, I'm going to get that thing. I was pursuing that thing, you know. Um, what was it about her that made you go, "Yeah, Joe's it"? Um, I don't know. I think I saw that she loved God. I saw that, you know, that scripture says, "Be equally yoked." I don't think it's necessarily just unbelievers. I think it's for people the same in my. I felt it was like, well, someone has the same sense of calling to serve God or do anything for God as I have. Mm. And, um, and you know, she'd already gone to Bible college. She'd already made that sacrifice. And um, and she was committed to serving God. And, you know, and so I felt that was... We, were, we connected intellectually. We connected mm. on that same, I suppose, say equally yoke. And we, we want to do whatever God asks us to do. So I suppose that that was part of the initial part, and obviously it's physical attraction, but but you know we just really connected well, and um, yeah. Did you ever feel like God spoke to you and said, "Paul, she's it"? No. Really? No, I don't think guys are that spiritual. <laughs> I think just, I think sometimes in church life there's this narrative. Like I, I will say this: I dated a girl before Joe, yeah, and she's a great guy. I still we're friends with them. She married another yeah. guy and. And um and my I rang up my parents one time and, and I told my parents about it. My mum goes, "Oh, I don't feel right about that." I'm like, "What the heck? You have never even met this person." And I think talk about spiritual authority. You know, even I hadn't lived at home for four years. You're still under your parents, mm. their family. And the funny thing is, I rang them up and said, "Oh, I like this girl." And my mum goes, 
my mum and dad go, oh, that sounds really good. She sounds awesome. I'm like, what are you talking about? You haven't even met this girl. So it's funny how even though they were living 2,000 kilometres away, mm. they had this sense of feeling and same with Joe's parents as well. Mm. So I think, you know, there is biblical principles in that, you know. Mm. Your parents, no matter, even though you think they're a bunch of old fuddy days, they do have a sense of discernment about your life partner, even if they're unsaved. Mm. I found that to be mm. true. I mean, my dad did like the Vindaloo test on Josh. He was like, he did the strong dude, curry, yes. But can he handle a curry? Can he handle it? Bring him over and we'll see. And Josh, to his credit, did really well. Well, I remember taking Joe to, to that country town. That was a bit of an experience for her. Yeah, right. So, um, but yeah, look. You know, I think besides making a decision to follow Jesus, who we marry and spend our life with is the second most important decision. It really is. Um, and I think um, that's something we, we really need God to guide us and lead us into mm. um, because I believe two are better than one. Mm. Bible says one will say a thousand, two, it's multiplication, 10,000. Mm. And there's no doubt I became a better person and I've always become a better person after getting married. Mm. And I'm sure I'm the same for Joe. What do you remember about your early years of marriage? Uh, it's awesome. It's awesome mm-hmm. getting married, having your own house. I found the first, I say this to all couples when I do pre-marriage counselling, mm-hmm. when you get engaged, it's like all the tension rises. You get tired. Getting married's awesome. Your life's mm-hmm. not less busy, but it's less in the downtimes you're together. Mm-hmm. And so that it's just awesome, you know, because, mm-hmm. you know, we were, we were Christians and we weren't living together and all that, so we were like staying up late talking to each other. And so the best thing is you're not so tired. Yeah, you say, well, so we're not going to go out tonight because when you you always wanted to go out to catch up and hang out and talk late at night or drive home afterwards. Mm. So getting married it just makes your life more simple. It's yeah. still busy, but simple. Yeah. Um, yeah, we 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 were really fruitful in our ministry because when I was when Joe married me, I was already running the youth, and I, I feel for Joe because she was working hard. She was doing a she was working in advertising, so it was like sixty seventy hour week job, high pressure, and then she was doing all the church stuff on top of that. And then she would go to work on Monday, and I have Monday off and go to the movies by herself. She didn't really like that, um, and um, yeah, and so yeah, it was great. And you know, I was a slob. I was I had to learn things, and I, I didn't realize I lived in the house of guys for about five years. So I really become depraved and uncivilized living with all these blokes. We didn't have a washing machine. I hadn't done grocery shopping in three years. I just used to scab off people, pastoral visitation, six p.m. So. I think I had to become more civilized living with a female and mm. being married. So I'm sure we had all the tensions that normal couples do. The moment, the only probably real tension we had was on money mm. because we just came from very different thought patterns on that. Mm. And that was probably our growth area mm. a couple of times. Probably second year of marriage, we went and saw some pastors and they laughed at us because we, we told them our problem and said it's quite a normal problem and we just had to work at it, you know. Mm. I think it's no secret that Joe is a strong woman and she's a strong leader. Was that ever a challenge for your marriage? No, I think for me, it's probably one of the things that attracted me to her. Mm. Um, and I think we're a good team. Mm. We're both, I think it's not, we're both, I think I look to is we're both oldest children of our families. And, you know, I don't want to get into the science of families, but I think mm. older, the eldest always seem to be responsible people and serious people about things. And so there's that clash sometimes with us. Like we'll go somewhere and we both have an opinion of how we're going to get there. Mm. 
So, uh, you know, or we land in the country and we're like, we're going to do this. So <laughs> that's quite funny sometimes because, um, you know, and we work on different things we defer to each other on. But, yeah, Jo's a strong person, but she's also, she's a strong person, but she, she's, a, she's a biblical person too. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think what is marriage? Marriage is a quality of relationship. But then there's also divine order. Mm. We can't. There's a trinity. It's a quality of they're all God, but there's an order in it. Mm. And so I think for Joe and I, like I've always consulted on the major decisions of our life. Like when we moved to Adelaide to Brisbane, I said to God, "You got to speak to Joe as well." As we both have to have a witness. But I know if I'd said Joe, I feel God's telling us to go. She would have said yes. Yeah. You know. So, um, but you know, um, I'd be stupid just to make all those decisions and not consult her. You know, I think. Let's be wise about it. But I think at the end of the day, she's hope she wanting me to make the final call on it, but we'll discuss it. We'll pray about it. Um, quite often in things in life, she's heard from God before I have. Um, so, or vice versa in different areas. So, um, yeah. Um, but I, I think, I think, I think the, I think we want to see women thrive and survive and, and go for it in life, you know? Um, um, Joe was very strong in her opinions of what she wanted to do when we had parenting. She wanted to be at home while the kids were at home before they went to school. Now, that cost us a lot financially, and I think every family has to make their decisions on that because mm. I think also the world we're living in is more expensive now than when I was. Mm. our kids were little. But Joe said to me, I want to be home when the kids are home. I know some parents say, I want to be home for the first year. It's a personal decision. And so we made that call, and you know that was harder financially. And then when the kids went to school, she went back to work. Mm. Um, but that was what she wanted to do. She said, I've just got it for a short time. I'd like to make that investment in the kids' lives. Mm. So we, we had to rearrange our lives accordingly for that. Um, but yes, I think I think it's not about, about strong leadership. I think in marriage, as a husband, you want to see the gifts on your wife come to the fore. Mm. And whether it's a creative gift or whether it's an organizational gift or whether it's a, you know, you're supporting each other in parenting. Um, you know, Joe would say there's some things I do better in parenting. I say there's some things she does better in parenting. So we work that. You're a team. Yeah, we work yeah. that. Um, that's why I think single parents are champions because it's hard work doing with two parents. And I think so I see some of the single parents in our church, and I think they're they're flipping legends what they've done with their kids. I remember one of my when I was at Bible college, there was a friend of mine, Ben Carboni, his mum had raised six kids by herself, and they were all serving God, all loving God, and Mrs. Carboni. Mm. I thought she was a flipping legend back then. Mm. And she was a great Italian cook, so I scored a lot of good free meals off her. But, um, you know, um, yeah, parenting's not easy as two parents, let alone one. Mm. And that's where you, that's where church can be awesome addition to families and and support for families. And I think single parents are, are guns. How do you make space in your marriage for each other's callings? Because I think both of you have such incredible callings on your life in ministry is that something you have to work at i think it's also been seasons yeah, like okay. um like i always felt joe always said to me she wanted to preach but she never really preached until we started our own church right. like she'd do once a year mother's day when we're at garden city or do something youth occasionally but you know i don't think every man's called to preach every pastor or every woman's called to preach but she had within her that thing and i kept saying to her look I think she just embraced the season. When the kids were little, she said, you know, this is my season. I'm just going to invest in the kids. And mm. But as she started getting a little bit more time back in her life, because mm. for all parents who know, 
kids under five are hard work. That's why God made them so cute because they're so hard work. But <laughs> over time, when our lifestyle began to change in a different season and then we started the church, you know, when I ran Youth Alive, which is a great organization, there was not much of a role for her and that she supported me in that. But when we took on the church, started the church, Joe was involved in everything, you know, and I think it was also at the right time for her to start preaching and developing and preaching. So there came a time when I think Sam went to school and I said, okay, Joe, you're on the roster all the time because I think frequency is going to help make you a great preacher. I think she's a good preacher. She's so, an amazing preacher. So I think, you know, I think also she's got to do some writing as well um, and all that kind of stuff. So we need to work on that. I'm Marianne. working on it. I know. I'm trying. But it's, it's making time for that. But, know. you know, like um, like every every marriage, I think you want to support your spouse on what they're good at, you know, mm. but it's vice versa. And, you know, like in every marriage, there's times when you're strong and they're weak and then they're weak and you're strong yeah. and... Um, and I think, um, yeah, it's just a, it's just an evolution of your married life um, and the different seasons in that. And I think most couples navigate that, you know. Mm-hmm. You first get married, what do you think about, hey, can we make enough money, hopefully buy a house, learn to live with each other and survive. Mm-hmm. Then you have kids. and So it's just different seasons and they're all different. They're all awesome, mm-hmm. but they're also all challenging, you know. Mm-hmm. Do you think women lead differently than men? Um, I just think women are different. You know what I mean? Like, I think all this stuff about gender neutrality and binary characters is, a, is a, just a lie from the pit of hell. But I don't think, I don't. I also understand why in the say feminism, women there, there's been abuses of women. Yeah. Okay, whether it's domestic violence, whether it's cultural, whatever, whether it's legalism. Mm. But then on the other hand, um, you know, um, um. I think we've got to provide environments for women to flourish as well. Mm. One of the things I've always said to our guy, our board is let's have a church that's safe for women. Mm. Okay, there's no predatory behaviour. There's no, you know. Mm. Um, so I think um, I think women can be involved in all forms of leadership. Mm. You know, um, we've got some great, even on our pastoral team, we've got some great women mm. do a lot of things as well. But I think it's not a, you know, I'm not into token women. You know, preaching. I think it's if you've got a gift to preach, you've got a gift to preach. You know, whether you're a man or a woman, because there's mm. been some pretty bad men preachers out there too. So <laughs> I think, um, you know, everyone's got a gift. Mm. You know, and I think you've got to find that. And um, but I do believe more importantly in in couples are teams that get things done. Mm. So whether you're in business, you know, and um, whether you, you know, I, I think people underestimate the power of marriage. Mm. It's a team. And at different times, we support one another. Different times, we're weak and strong. And so for us, I think Joe, like classic example in the church, Joe, we have different roles, but we are leading together, if that makes sense. So I'm on the board. Joe would never be on the board. She doesn't want to be on the board, you know. And um, that's not her gifting and calling. She's doing something else in the church. But when it comes to culture and heart, she she really is quite intuitive and all of that. Sometimes I'll get a, a broad spectrum saying, I feel God's saying us to do this. Mm. And she has quite often a gift to help interpret that and make it practical in the life of the church. Mm. That's how it works for us. Mm. So, you know, What's Joe's your... a very practical person. Yeah. As as a senior pastor, what what is your vision and I guess your prayer for the women in your church? Um. I just think I want to see women grow to their potential and their gifting and their talent, what God's called them to be. And we, we are fortunate that we live in a country where women can do that. 
Mm. Now you still may have issues of, um, you know, like in India, when we have our church there, there's still 300 million people don't have electricity. Mm. So what does that mean? They probably don't have running water, they don't have washing machine, they have domestic appliances, which means the culture is very traditional mm. that women are doing servant home domestic duties, you know. Mm. Well, we live in a culture where there's so many things that can be done, mm. so which releases people to do more than just that, you know what I mean? Um, so, um, you know, I just want, I want men and women in our church to be everything that God's called them to be. And I think one of those greatest things is is strong families, is is a, is a strong life and we can't underestimate that but you know we've got you know um i was talking to a young girl in our church city campus joe she's come from dunedin she's an she's a geologist she's a cool chick. she's an amazing person she <laughs> plays bass at church yeah. and go girl you know that's awesome and um cool. um you know i think you know we've got women business owners in our church you know i saw anna wimbley preach the other week at church he's a great so preacher good. so yeah. i, I you know, I think it's like, well, what is what's God asked you to do? What's your dream? Mm. And I think over time, you know, uh, how can I say this? Yes, we want to see women flourish, but also I want to see married couples flourish because it's a teamwork doing it, if that makes yeah, sense. Totally. Um, like having kids that turn out half normal is a good success in life, you know, right. and it's hard work in this it's society, you know. So, mm. so by the grace of God and some some good parenting we can get there mm. <laughs> i don't know if that answers your question marion yeah um but um i don't see any role within the church that a woman can't do that a man's not doing yeah totally i um, sometimes think and i don't know like i'm a woman and sometimes i really struggle with confidence especially when i think sometimes you know that god's put a leadership gift on your life but there is this very like and, I, you know, it kind of goes back to what you were saying about your family and your experience and what you know. There is sometimes this voice in my head that's like, you're a migrant girl. Like, you can't go do that, you know, and that's not something that's possibly for you. But I think that that's also sometimes lies, like from the enemy where you've just got to, like exactly what you said, that if God told you to do it, you've just got to be obedient to what God told you to do. Yeah, like... um you know, like, okay, classic example, we've got quite a few female doctors in our church. Yeah, right. And so, you, and I don't know their full journey, but just like anyone else, they must have a dream when they were a kid, they want to do it. Really? But you got to get the grades at high school. Yeah, That's should. a huge achievement. you got to get into med school. And then you've got yeah. years of study and interning and working at the hospital like a dog. And, like, it's hard work, I, I you know. Um, and so, praise God, you know. Um, yeah. I think it's not an issue of of the uh, of the role it's issue of i think what has god called you to do and what's mm. the giftings and talents on your life and so mm. i want to discover those for it mm. for, for whatever they may be mm. um and um and you know and on the other extreme i know some people will go the, the their biggest dream in life is i want to be a mum mm. and there's nothing that's wrong with that yeah. compared to i want to be a female doctor or i want yeah. to just be a mum and yeah it's so no, it 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 really is you know, between you and God and you and your husband, what you think that's what your desire is. Yeah. But on the other hand, um, you know, um, there shouldn't be a lid if you've got desires outside of what your family's done. That's the hard thing, I think. It's also breaking through barriers, you know. Um, um, some, someone says they're the first person in their family, male or female, that's finished university or finished a trade. or So you're a migrant family and I'd say you come from a culture that Pakistan's not known for 
you know, equality of the genders. Yeah, totally. So, um, you know, um, totally. you may be breaking yeah. some barriers already. Yeah. You've already yeah. gone further than you think. Yeah. You know, you're a school te- qualified school teacher. I am. That's a good thing. Thanks. <laughs> what do you think of favourite friends? What is favourite friends? Is that a joke? Yeah. Is this a podcast I'm doing called Favourite Friends, is it? Oh, sorry, I didn't know Are the name of it. Are you joking, Paul? I just, knew po- that, I just knew that you do a great podcast and all the girls listen to it. I apologise. It's fine. I won't take it personally. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Favourite Friends. Hey, why don't you share this episode with someone you know? If you want to find out a bit more about us, that's Favour Women or IC Church, then you can click on the link in the episode description. And I will see you next time. Bye.